just past 7 o'clock and start getting excited. It's time for Ira on Sports 95.9, the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and a lot to get into tonight. Ira, you are not in studio with us right now. We've been trying to get across the country, but uh, as we know, out north of Florida, it's a little bit difficult to travel right now. So, Ira, where are you? Well, I'm in Pittsburgh because I just went to the Cleveland uh, Steeler game yesterday, the exciting uh, fair they had, and uh, I was unable to get out of Pittsburgh because, of course, the weather. But what a game. Uh, Duck Hodges, I think everyone now knows who he is, and he's becoming a legend. Uh, during the game, one of the guys next to me said, if he completes this pass, he is going to be a super legend, whatever that meant. And people were – I haven't heard cheers for a backup for a quarterback besides Ben and Bradshaw like I heard for Duck Hodges in the game. I mean, he's definitely become a fan favorite for the Steelers, and uh, it was it was a great game to be at. Well, hopefully he can uh, keep the wins coming for you guys. Um, Ira, no guests tonight, but our guests next week are really, really good, and I actually was listening to one of this, these guys on TV yesterday. Tell us who we're going to have next week. Well, we've had Andrew Catalan on before he does CBS's uh, second or third uh, broadcast, play-by-play. And also we've had him on talking about golf, too, um, for the NFL. And he's, like, right under Jim Nance and, and, and Romo on CBS. And then we'll have George, and he'll definitely have insights into the, the NFL because the great thing what a broadcaster does, he goes to each of the games and gets to talk to the coaches and the quarterbacks. The insight he has is nobody else really has that. And then we'll have George Howe Colt, who is the author of the book called The Game, about Harvard and Yale. It's a tremendous book that talks about the rivalry at Harvard and Yale, and it's a great college football book. And you know how much I love rivalries in football. We're going to talk about the rivalries today, uh, but it's a, it's a good book about the Harvard-Yale. So speaking of rivalries, I, I would go ahead and say it's the biggest rivalry in college football. Let's talk about it now. Ohio State versus Michigan, and I thought that this game was going to be a little more competitive than it was, I— well, the, the debate today is, is it a rivalry? Like, could you have a rivalry when one team has won 15 of the last 16 games and eight in a row? <laughs> but um, I, I, I love this rivalry. I, I was on the fence to go to the game and I ordered the Penn State Rutgers game and the weather was really bad. And I was nervous that if I drove up from Ohio there, that I couldn't get back for the Steeler game. And I had my friend uh, years ago, I went for a few years ago, my friend had this had a nice house. And I said, you have one TV in a house, like a big TV. I go, you need to have it. I'm with my laptops out and my iPads and trying to watch four games. So finally, on a Cyber Monday, he just took a room and bought five TVs that are 100 inches and 50 inches all around and made this amazing cinema of sports that you get of all the games. So it was like the perfect place on a Saturday for rivalry weekend to sit and watch four games or five games at the same time from 12 o'clock to midnight. And so I stayed there and watched the game. So it was a lot of fun to actually see the games go on and, and experience, you know, just get the feeling of watching all the games at the same time. So let, let's talk about this one. Um, I, I pretty much set my, um, you know, I set my schedule up on Saturday just to take in Ohio State and Michigan. And like I said, it, 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 like, I, I, granted, it's, yeah, eight straight wins. These two teams just seem to me to be on different entire playing fields, though. And, and it was pretty apparent seeing them uh, on Saturday. Right. I mean, it's, it's amazing that Michigan leads the series 58-51-6. And, six. and the, the rivalry, it's, it's been 116 years. But it started really, as they call it, the 10-year war, when Bo Schembechler was on the staff of Ohio State and then went to coach at Miami, Ohio, and then finally then Michigan brought him on. And during that, that 10 years, every game was big. They were all ranked. They were all in the top five each of the years. And Michigan ended up in that, for that 10 years, 5-4-1. And, one. and uh, what happened in 1969, in the first game they played, Willie Hayes and Ohio State had a 22-game winning streak. They went to Michigan and lost. So that's sort of what... It would elevate its rivalry to a, a greater level. And then between 80 and 2000, John Cooper, I mean, Ohio State, Michigan was beating it up. I mean, they were killing him. But once Trestle took over at Ohio State, this is when it all just became terrible uh, for, uh, for Michigan. I mean, the one of the – I was looking at the history of it. It's great. In 2006, they were both 1-2, and 11-0 records. The day before game, Bo Schembechler died. He wasn't coaching, but he had passed away. Ohio State won the game 42-39. And the day, that same day in the Ohio lottery that night, it was, the number was 42-39. <laughs> I 
Crazy. And, I mean, and, and, and there's so much hate. I mean, it's not hatred, but it's they talk about Ohio State talks about the team up north. They don't refer to it as Michigan. The story is that Woody Hayes was the one driving it through Michigan and he ran out of gas. And right at the border. And they said, like, why don't you get gas? He goes, I won't get gas in Michigan. I mean, I'd rather push my car over the border and get gas. Um, but the last few years, I mean, has been everything with Harbaugh and Urban Meyer. And Urban Meyer was 4-0 against Harbaugh. And this year, Ryan Day comes back and makes it 5-0. So I think going into the game, Michigan, I mean, I'm friends with both Ohio State fans and Michigan fans. And Michigan really wanted this game. And that they had Ohio State at home. They were 10-point underdogs. But they just, I think there was a confidence that they had been playing. The Patterson had been passing well. The team looked like they were going. It's almost like this was the year that Michigan was going to get back and, and win. And it just did not happen. Well, Ira, that's, you know, you said, this, you know, kind of the same thing I was thinking. I've got friends that are even neutral parties, just college football fans, don't, you know, have no allegiance to either team. Everybody thought that this game was going to be pretty tight and pretty competitive, and it really wasn't from the first quarter. Uh, so tell us about what happened. Well, the first drive, Michigan goes down, 75-yard drive for a touchdown, and it was um, Jow Jackson ran for a touchdown for 22 yards. You look back, I was at the Penn State-Michigan game, Penn State-Ohio State game, and Ohio State's defense in that second half didn't look good. I mean, they made up, there were holes. It did not look like the team that was beating everyone else by a million points during the year. And they were missing tackles. There were huge holes. But, of course, Michigan scores a touchdown and misses the extra point. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't good. And then on the next drive, J.K. Dobbins fumbled the ball. But it bounced right up to him. I mean, if, that, if he had fumbled and Michigan got the ball, maybe they'd jump out 13 nothing. But then he ran for 34 yards. And Dobbins, of course, played phenomenal. 31 carries, 211 yards, four touchdowns, two catches, 49 yards. On the year, he has 250 carries for 1,600 yards. He's going to go over 2,000 yards. He says over 100 yards against everyone but Rutgers, uh, Maryland, Miami, Ohio, and FAU. I mean, in the big games, 211 against Michigan. 163 versus Wisconsin, 157 versus Penn State. I mean, he is, I mean, Heisman Trophy candidate. I mean, Joe Burrows we're talking about, but J.K. Dobbins, what a year. I mean, he's only in, in ter- Ohio State's history. He's only behind Archie Griffin in terms of the amount of yards. But, uh, um, but anyway, they, he, they got down to third and 14 on the 28-yard line, and Dobbins uh, ran down to the one-yard line, and then he ran in for a touchdown to make it 7-6. And after they exchanged punts, um, they, they were both punting back and forth. And then Ohio State, that quick strike. I mean, after running Dobbins after Dobbins, they threw a 57-yard pass from Fields to LA to make it 14-6. Uh, but Michigan came down. I mean, it was, that's when you thought it was going to be attractive because they had a 40-yard pass from Patterson to McLoon. They get down. They had a 25-yard touchdown pass to Peoples-Jones. So it's 14-13. Michigan's happy. I mean, everything's under control. They think it's like they're in a game. Ohio State's defense isn't that great. Uh, but then Ohio State gets the ball back, and Fields threw another <laughs> he threw a 30-yard pass when two Michigan backs crashed into each other, and Dobbins ran it for another touchdown, 21-13. But that's when the game turned, because it's 21-13 uh, Ohio State. In the middle of the second quarter, Michigan gets the ball. They're driving down again, ready to, you know, it's still a track meet. Third and nine, Ohio State tra- uh, 12. It wasn't a force fumble. They just snapped it on a, on a, uh, to Patterson. And he drops the ball. The quarterback mm-hmm. from Michigan just drops it. Wasn't even looking for the ball. Ohio State gets the ball back, gets the ball, and they're driving down. But they were stopped at fourth and four. They go to punt, and what does Michigan do? Jump offsides on a fourth and four. Gives them a first down, and then the next play, boy, Ohio State scores. To Garrett Wilson throws the pass. Then it's twenty-eight thirteen. And then Michigan at the end of the, the half drives again, and they had a touchdown. But Peoples Jones just dropped the ball. So they just had to set up for a field goal. So it was 20, 16 and a half times. Fields had passed for 200 yards. Dobbins had rushed for 100 yards. And Patterson was playing great. He had passed for 250 yards and a touchdown. But it was like, if you're Michigan, you're like, we, we should have done been closer than 28-16. But, boy, to start out the second half, then everything fell out. Dobbins had a 41-yard run. They got down to the one-yard line. They jumped out 35-16. Um, and, uh, and even when, uh, and then at one point in the game, it was 35 16 with 7.44 left in the uh, third, third quarter. Fields gets hit and goes down. He's hurt, and it, and it looked bad. I mean, I was at the one game where uh, JT Barrett got hit, and uh, Chandler Jones had came in during that game at the Ohio State Michigan game. But Fields got hurt. He's in the tent. Chris Chugadov comes in. He's a graduate student, transferred from West Virginia. He played great, converted two thirds down. 
Fields comes out of the tent, you know, you think he might be out for the year, like what's his, how's this going to affect Ohio State going long term? He comes out of the tent and puts a knee brace on, 30-yard strike to Wilson <laughs> for a touchdown, up, uh, up 42-16. And, and the only thing that Ohio State did wrong is they're up 42-16. They're up, and, it, and the game's over. But they tried to field a punt. They fumbled, gave a chance Michigan to, to, to try to get, a, to, you know, get a field goal. And Michigan was dropping pass. I felt bad for Patterson. I mean, th- his receivers were just dropping passes after pass. I don't think I've ever seen in a major college game just wide-open passes where they were, where they were dropping passes. But uh, by then it was over, and they just you know just ran it out to fifty six twenty seven, and uh, Michigan was two for thirteen on third downs. They were outgained five hundred and seventy seven yards to three hundred ninety six, and uh, Patterson eighteen he passed for three hundred yards, but it just was not good enough in, in a game like that. And it, it, it's it's like one of those losses where the Michigan fans themselves say it's not a rivalry. I mean they're depressed, and if you look at the stands, it was all red. I mean the Ohio State fans went in that game, and Michigan was on break. But uh, it was a bad loss. And now, you know, the question's about Harbaugh. Should he be fired? Should he not be fired? And what would happen? Because he's 0 for 5. But, um, look, they, were, they finished with three losses on the year, uh, ready to go to an okay bowl game. Uh, just, a, just a difficult taste for someone like the Michigan who has this pride. You know, they're so proud of their team, and they want their team to be great, but they don't want to lose a game like that. Would you uh, get rid of Harbaugh in this situation? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I think that they're – look, they're closer. And they're going to get there, and they they just need they. I, I just think that they're just they look. They're not going to get a better coach than, than Jim Harbaugh. He's an excellent coach, and I just I mean, unless Les Miles who went to Kansas was super there, something would happen. But uh, but he he hasn't. They're really what the question is: If you get rid of Harbaugh, who are you going to replace him with? And they've had the problem when Schembechler retired, and they brought Lloyd Carr. And when I mean, they got rid of Lloyd Carr, who had won a, a national championship, so I don't think they should replace Harbaugh. And I don't think Harbaugh should want to leave. And I, we've had John Bacon on. Uh, we had Brady and Edwards on with differing opinions, but I just think that, I mean, and you saw Harbaugh's response. I mean, he's upset. He's testy. He's upset that they lost, but uh, uh, of course, and it's, and it's something that they want, but uh, I mean, Lloyd Carr's comment was, after you lose to Ohio State, there's nothing that can make you happy, <laughs> which is pretty strong, but I uh, know. I don't think they should get rid of Harbaugh. I think they should just gear up and try to beat Ohio State and try to, I mean, you just, there's can only, you know, there's, it's, it's, he's the coach. He's proud of his school, and, and they're just going to have to just figure it out. No, I, I agree with you on both points. Who are you going to replace him with? And also, do you think anyone would be doing that much better with the discrepancy in skill between an Ohio State team and a Michigan? I don't. That's why I would uh, I'd be sticking it out well, with Harbaugh. I thought that uh, Gus Johnson made a comment about the you know about the skill. He goes, "Well, this was a tough game for Michigan, but next year will be different." And I'm like. Well, like, why? Like, Ohio <laughs> State, they're graduating people, but they have five-star recruits everywhere. They have the number one or two, three recruiting class in the country. Justin Fields is coming back, who's going to be the Heisman Trophy frontrunner. It's, like, it's not like next year Michigan's going to have 100 more players than Ohio State. Like, again, people think that Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson, they lose a lot of players, but they keep bringing them in. They're always going to be good. They're always going to have talent. You just have to have talent at certain positions and win those games. So it's just that Ohio State's going to be there, but you're right. I think that Michigan's going to have to figure out and just bring in better talent. 718, it's Ira on Sports. This is 95.9, the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, I, I don't know. It, over the past decade, I guess it is, maybe a little shorter, I've really built up some contempt for Alabama fans. I, 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 most of the people that I know that are big Alabama fans were not wearing Alabama clothes 10 years ago. This is a kind of a new thing once Nick Saban got there, and I was pretty happy to see Auburn beat them. <laughs> well, I disagree because I like Alabama fans because I've been there and I've been at the Alabama LSU game and the Penn State game, so I thought they're fantastic. But I was reading up, like, I want to do some reading about the rivalry between uh, the Iron Bowl. It was called the Iron Bowl because it used to be played in Birmingham. And Chuck Jordan, the coach of Auburn, coined the phrase because steel Birmingham was called the Pittsburgh, actually, of the South, and they called it the Iron Bowl because of the steel aspect of it. And it's interesting, the rivalry backs way back to the Civil War. When they started Auburn, Alabama did not want Auburn to be formed. And most of the, like, the state legislature started Auburn, and Alabama was just hoping that nobody would go, that Alabama would go out of business, that Auburn would go out of business. So for all this whole time, Alabama was like trying to do everything. They're both state schools, so Auburn would just go away, and then Alabama would take the land. That the rule was that Alabama could take Auburn's land, but uh, um, and the Auburn was able to only survive because they were able to get the fertilizer sales from the 
the state of Alabama. That's what has kept them in, in business in terms of running. But after World War II, um, then that all the GIs came and then everything built up and then they had Auburn was able to stand in and, and do it. And they always played this game in Birmingham up until uh, till, uh, 89 when it was uh, when when Bear Bryant died, they said, OK, now it can it can alternate between Birmingham, and, which is was where Alabama played lots of their games and Auburn. Um, and then since 2000, since uh, um, they had Brian Denny Stadium, that's 100,000 fans in Alabama, they're playing the games there. So it's, it, this is an amazing rivalry in terms of it's, Alabama only leads 46-37 uh, in, into the rivalry. But everybody knows that between like the last, every year, one of them was winning the national championship for over five straight years. So it was uh, in 2013, the most memorable game, 28-20. 28-28, Bama's attempting a 57-yard field goal at the end of the game, and Auburn, of course, ran it back uh, for a touchdown to, 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 to win. But uh, Saban is only 8-5 in, in the Iron Bowl, and he's lost three with this game, lost three of the last four at Auburn. But uh, Auburn, what a great team. I mean, they, this year they had a win of Oregon and close losses to Florida, LSU, and Georgia. So Auburn's a great team with a good uh, freshman quarterback uh, and the line wasn't that, you know, the line was three and a half and uh, you just didn't know what was going to happen. And, and, and great rivalry, great game at Auburn. And, uh, and you saw at the end of the game when all the Auburn fans rush in, you know, you're not allowed in the SEC to rush the field, but Auburn always, when they beat Alabama, they do it and they pay their $250,000 fine and they have to get all the shrubs fixed all around the, uh, the field. Did you happen to see the woman caught in the shrubs? <laughs> doesn't get doesn't get much women, more embarrassing yeah, than that. Everybody gets caught in the shrubs, but I mean, it it was it was like one of those games. That, and I'll tell you, it was you wouldn't you weren't surprised that it was a track meet because Alabama's defense has been terrible all year. And uh, you know, Bama got up three nothing, and then Auburn returns a punt for fifty yards, goes up seven three, and then at one point it was ten ten, and then Mac Jones for Alabama threw a pick six to Auburn, make it 17-10. Mac Jones played great. Like, he really had a good game, except for that pick six was just terrible. But then what happened? Alabama comes back 17-17. Auburn fumbles, and then, uh, and then, and then Alabama was able to take the lead on Judge Jones to run past 24-17. But a minute to go, with a minute to go in the half, Auburn tied at 24-24. Uh, Bama, two plays later, they go up 31-24. I mean, that, the fireworks at the end of the first half between Bama scoring and going up 31-24. But then the controversial play, and I really think Saban has every right to say that, is that Auburn got the ball back with 20 sevens to go on their own 35. And then it was third and 10. They get it down. They throw a 15-yard pass. And uh, uh, they got down to the uh, 34-yard line. There was one second like, left. And then they were like, oh, we're going to see if the time ran out. So they had a review. And this is what I don't like about the reviews. Auburn goes up to the line, and there should have been no time. Like, it should have ran out. Like, instead, they were given the time to kick a field goal and make it 31-27. And I, I, th I thought that was ridiculous. You saw Saban going absolutely ballistic. But I think it was, it was totally wrong for that to happen. So what happened after that? Well, then in the second half, um, Bama, fumbled, Bama fumbled the beginning of the second half. Auburn kicked another field goal. And uh, then Bama was driving for a touchdown. And on their one-yard line, Mac Jones hits uh, Najee Harris on the back with a screen pass. Auburn took the ball 100 yards back for a touchdown to make it 36-31. Um, Bama drives back down again, makes it 38-37. Uh, and this, it's back and forth. And then, uh, and then uh, finally, Alabama took the lead, 45-40, with 13-44 left. And then finally, Auburn, so instead of having these fast drives, Auburn drove down 11-play, 77-yard drive, and Sean Shivers scored on a wild card to make it for, wild, wildcat play, 48-45. What does Bama do? Bama drives the whole way down there, and Mac Jones did a great job. It was fourth and seven. They were able to convert a fourth down. Najee Harris was running the ball well. Everything was great. But then um, they, had, they settled for a 30-yard field goal to tie it. They probably send it into overtime. And, and during that end of the game, they're trying to kick the field goal. They're... they're uh, they're, they're, they're setting up sort of a field goal. Auburn keeps calling timeouts. Now, if Auburn wouldn't have called any timeouts at all, the clock would have ran out, they would have missed the field goal, and uh, Auburn would end up winning the, uh, winning the game. But it ended up that uh, – or have a chance to win well, overtime but, uh, but, or, or win, actually win the game. 
But in the end, they went and they go, they kick the field goal, and, it's, and they miss it. Joseph Bulovus misses it. So they're still down by three, but there's still two minutes to go. What is Bama's defense? They finally stop Auburn. So on first, second, and third down, Auburn runs a play with the timeouts they call and everything. And now they're given, uh, you know, there's a minute to go, and it looks like Bama's going to get the ball back with the minute to be forced to punt. So I got to give uh, um, uh, Gus Miles on credit for Auburn. He brings out like he's going to go for it on fourth down. Then he puts the punt crew, and he's going back and forth. Alabama got confused, had 12 men on the field. Then that's a penalty, of course, and uh, so they get first down, and the game's over. But And Saban was mad about it. He said he should have had people left. He was upset that they didn't give him a chance to put people in, but he definitely had 13 men on the field, and uh, what a way to lose. I mean, he won on a, they lost on a penalty, but it was a game where they had 12 penalties a game, which was the most penalties ever uh, for Nick Saban since he's been at Alabama. But just a, a bad loss, and I just don't know if this Alabama team honestly was good enough. I mean, they had, since Tua went down, uh, they have four wide receivers that are NFL-ready with Ruggs, Waddle, Smith, and Judy. Uh, but I just don't think the team with the defense, I don't think they would have beat LSU. I don't think they would have had trouble against Ohio State and certainly Clemson. So... I'm the you know I'm, I feel I'm fortunate that we don't see Alabama in the playoffs because it gives them now their two losses and they wouldn't make the playoffs. But at the beginning of the year, they've lost a lot of their defense players. Joshua McMillan got hurt at the beginning of the year. Dylan Moses uh, uh, got hurt, and they really started four true freshmen on defense, and they just didn't play well enough to. It was it was good enough to win the games against the bad teams, but against the LSU's and the Auburn, they just couldn't stop those offenses. No, I agree. They weren't. They're not in the top four teams in the country, in my opinion. And that's why I'm glad that with this loss, there's no debate now. You can't have people saying, you know, like trying to weasel them in. And they may have snuck in, uh, but I'm glad that that's been um, put to rest. Uh, a team that's going to be looking to take it all down is LSU. And they just rolled over Texas A&M this weekend. Well, what? That was a good game. And, and then the thing is, then the rest of the games, like I was waiting for something crazy to happen. And besides the Alabama-Auburn game, which was great to watch, tremendous theater and everything, and the Ohio State-Michigan game was exciting for maybe a little bit, but then there was no theater the rest of the time. I mean, you're waiting for these upsets. And, and, and LSU won 50-7. to seven. I mean, the game last year, this game was seven overtimes, and A&M won, won 74-72. Uh, the first play of the game, Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy frontrunner, runs the ball, and A&M, one of the A&M players, tears him down. I thought he, like, broke his leg or whatever. It looked like a sudden, like, Burrow jumped right back up. But after that, it was 31 nothing at halftime. Um, they out-yarded they out uh, A&M 553 to 169. Burrow was tremendous. He ended up with 353 yards. This Jamar Chase, the wide receiver for LSU, was <laughs> – just amazing with 197 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, A&M only managed four first downs for the entire game. So a complete blowout and a great win for LSU going in there. And it's, it's a statement that LSU is trying to make is like, we're, we're the number one seed. Now they still have to play Georgia next week, but the point is that the battle between should Ohio state or LSU be number one, that was their statement. Look, we're dominating. We beat good teams. We beat Alabama and Alabama and we just blew out Texas A&M uh, 50 to seven. Yep, I, I agree with you. There, that, that was a statement game, and I, I, I was glad to see it because I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of excited about this LSU team this year. Another team that I always keep my eye on is Clemson, and they kind of tried to do the same thing. Not that uh, South Carolina is that difficult to roll over. Well, they were 27 point favorite going the game. South Carolina was four and eight, but they did beat Georgia at home. And last year, South Carolina game. I mean, the game was 56 35, and South Carolina gained 600 yards. But Clemson. I mean, Trevor Lawrence looked amazing. I mean, absolutely in the passes. And they have uh, T. Higgins was uh, 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 was three passes for 101 yards, two touchdowns. And Justin Ross nine passes for 111 yards. Um, at one point, Lawrence had Trevor Lawrence had 16 consecutive completions in the game. Uh, I mean, he. It was out by the by the fourth quarter with 18 passes for 20, 18 for 24, three touchdowns, 232 yards. The game was a total blowout. But again, Clemson. I just think that Clemson is just playing at a, at a level that is. I mean, they had that tie, that tough win the, the, against North Carolina where they won by a point. North Carolina had a chance to tie it in overtime, went for two, didn't get it. Since then, they blew out Florida State 45-14, Louisville 45-10, Boston College 59-7, and then Wofford. NC State 55-10, Wake Forest 52-3, uh, South Carolina now 38-3. I mean, they're winning by 35, 40 points every game. 
Uh, they're going, and, and they're mad. I mean, Dabo Sweeney came out saying, look, we're being punished. I mean, they're definitely in the playoffs. They have to play Virginia next week. They're 30-point favorites in that game. They're going to be in it. But he doesn't want to be the third team. They're like, we're the defending champion. They've won 27 games in a row. But their schedule has been so easy. They haven't played anybody. And uh, uh, But still, I, they're my fifth pick. I, I'm going to say that Clemson is my pick to win the national championship. But uh, they will definitely be the third seed, uh, probably the third seed uh, in the, in, for the playoffs. Um, do you want to uh, let's talk about Georgia and Georgia Tech here? And this is, of course, it's a rivalry game because it's in state, but uh, this hasn't been very competitive in a while. No, I mean Georgia again. This is another situation. I have the game on. I'm like, I'm waiting for one of these teams that is not that, you know, like, I'm waiting for at least a close game. Like, give us guarantee. This game was a total blowout, seventeen nothing, twenty four seven. The only thing at halftime, the problem is Devontae Swift, Georgia's great uh, tailback, got injured. Uh, with his shoulder, and there's a question whether he could play in the SEC championship game next week. But it was a complete blowout. I mean, tw- again, 26 to seven on first downs, uh, 500 to 139 yards. I mean, Georgia Tech was terrible. They're three and nine on the year. But Georgia now Georgia has put, has put themselves in this position. Georgia beats LSU. They're in the playoff. There's no. I mean, LSU right now and, and Ohio State they can both lose. There's no issue. They can both lose and be in the playoffs. Clemson is not going to lose. So we're only talking about the fourth position. If Georgia beats LSU with the schedule they've had, with the win over LSU, they're in. I mean, they're going to be in. It's no doubt, 100%. They beat LSU, they're in the playoffs. So, but they're eight-point underdog or nine-point underdog against LSU. But but they they really control their quote own destiny if they want to be in the playoffs. And Ira, you know, continuing in that thread of controlling your own destiny and just flat out having to win, Utah is in that boat, and they. Uh, they did what they had to do this week. Well, again, this is another game where I'm waiting for, let's see if Colorado gives Utah. And Utah's been blowing everybody out, but they ended up jumping out to a 45-15 lead. I mean, 40, they won 45-15. I mean, Colorado scored and went up 7 nothing. But then um, if you watch Utah play, Tyler Huntley, their quarterback, is great. Zach Moss, the, the, their running back. Uh, they're both Tyler's from Dania, Florida, and Zach Moss is from Hialeah Gardens in Florida. But it was, it was a just... Uh, Utah is why I like Utah better than Oklahoma Baylor. They just been blowing everybody out. They have their one loss that they did to USC, and then it's a close game against Washington. And besides that, every game has been like this 45-15 uh, type of game. I mean, they limited Colorado to 60 yards rushing. That's the 10th time this year out of 12 games. I mean, their defense is great. They're not only is their offense explosive, their defense is great. So Utah has positioned themselves that they are now going to be in that mix, whether if, uh, if Georgia loses to LSU, as I expect, to be against the, the – it'll be Utah if they beat Oregon against the uh, Oklahoma-Baylor winner. Uh, speaking of cross-state rivalries, Oklahoma-Oklahoma State features two ranked teams, and uh, this is a nice win for Oklahoma. What? Well, this is another trap game. I mean, this is a rivalry game. Oklahoma's going to Oklahoma State. It's Bedlam. It's a, it's a difficult game. And Oklahoma State usually plays. I mean, this is a, uh, Oklahoma State plays Oklahoma tough, every, it seems like, every single year. And it was a close game. It was 20-16. to 16, But then Oklahoma came down, made it 27-16. And, and this game, Jalen Hurts, uh, he played great. I didn't make the turnovers. I mean, like not turning the ball over was the uh, uh, was the key thing. Is that is the fact that they just didn't turn the ball over and were able to and they held Oklahoma State Chubba Hubbard, who was the nation's leading rusher, to only 104 yards rushing. So it was a it was a good win for Oklahoma, 34-16, and it's something they needed to do, getting set up for the Baylor game. And yeah, speaking of Baylor, this is obviously must win for them, and they had no trouble putting away Kansas. Well, I think Baylor's been in so many close games. They need to have a win, so they play Kansas. But again, you watch the Baylor-Kansas game, it looked like there were 10 people. Was that Kansas? Like 10 people were at the game. I mean, it was a terrible atmosphere. And you go from Alabama-Auburn to that, and then people are saying, well, like, look, I mean, Baylor's playing in front of nobody, and uh, they won 61-6. But it was like one of those wins that if Baylor's in the mix. I mean, Baylor, it, look, you could easily see how Baylor could play in the playoffs. If Georgia loses what they should lose. Baylor beats Oklahoma, which they were leading Oklahoma. And if Oregon beats Utah, Baylor's in. Baylor's going to be that fourth team. So, but they did what they had to do, which have an impressive victory. But again, not exciting. Another one of these, quote, not exciting games. Yeah, and this one was a little bit more exciting because it featured uh, the number 12 team in the country versus the number 8 team in the country, Minnesota, who had been rolling up until they walked into Wisconsin. Game day was there. 
it's snowing. Minnesota last year won the game in Wisconsin that started this entire run that Minnesota's had uh, with P.J. Fleck as their coach and the whole rowing the oars and, and just a great atmosphere with game day, the snow. Minnesota goes up 7 nothing, and Wisconsin fumbles. And at that point, you're like, oh, my gosh, Minnesota's going to win this game. But after that, it was just everything fell apart for Minnesota. They just – they just could. I mean, Wisconsin. I think finally got their act together. I mean, it's a team that before the beginning with the season looked like they were unbeatable. Then they uh, they they lost Illinois and lost Ohio State, but they got their mojo back and, and just kept running and running and running all over, which they normally do. And Jack Cohn, their quarterback, in the snow and the weathers were terrible. Two for two hundred eighty yards for his best uh, Big Ten game ever. Uh, Taylor for Wisconsin, one of the greatest running backs in the history of the Big Ten. Only had 76 yards rushing, but he did have two touchdowns and one one receiving. And I liked at the end of the game when Wisconsin ran and got the axe. But what this happened, what this this did is Wisconsin now plays Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, but it means that Minnesota is eliminated. That second loss keeps them out of the championship game. Minnesota doesn't have a chance, so there's no chance that Minnesota beats Ohio State. So that sort of a, both Alabama and Minnesota were the two teams that were eliminated last weekend. And Wisconsin can beat Ohio State go play in the Rose Bowl, win or lose, they probably might still go to the Rose Bowl. But again, Ohio State's in no matter what. And Wisconsin with two losses can't get in. 735, it's Ira on sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira will never get to all these games, but I do want to talk about your uh, your Penn State Nittany Lions really laid a beat down on Rutgers, and Rutgers is changing coaches. One of the worst, now I watched this game on TV. Penn State played the worst half I think I've ever seen them play. They were up 7 three at halftime and for the game I mean, they were out yarded 243 to 129 um Rutgers was playing freshmen walk-ons and Penn State had no motivation it was really what they ended up winning of course 27-6 Will Levis started but it was it was one of the worst performances I've ever seen play uh Penn State ever play that first half it was a disaster and but I gotta get Rutgers did ended up hiring Greg Schiano as their coach uh, he was their coach from 2001 to 2011 when they had five bowls. They, they won. Uh, they were in five bowls and won, I think, all of them. And uh, at one point, he was 11-2 and two and ranked number 12 in the country. Then went to Tampa Bay, lasted two years there, bounced around as defensive coordinator at Ohio State. But now he's back at Rutgers, and they're very excited about that. And that's a big deal. So that's, we'll see what happens. But Penn State did not look good. Thank God no one saw this game because Penn State didn't look good at all in that game. And Ira, um, you know, you haven't been to, in South Florida in a week or so, so you probably haven't seen how Miami fans look right now. We talked about maybe Manny Diaz should be a little bit worried about his job after losing to FIU, and then they play Duke and get the same result. Well, there was like 10 people in those stands. It's pouring down rain. They're losing to Duke. Duke is just awful this year, and uh, it just, it's just a terrible game. I, mean, I watched the whole game, and Miami did nothing. It did nothing. Uh, Jaron Williams was 11 for 26. He had, I mean, nine sacks against him. I mean, they cannot block. Uh, it's a, it, to lose to FIU, to lose to Georgia Tech, to lose to Duke, just terrible. And then to jump on the Florida State bandwagon, I watched the Florida-Florida State game, and Florida State was totally blown out uh, by Florida. I mean, when Felipe Franks went down early in the year, everyone was nervous. Kyle Trask has come in. Just a great year. Um, they've only lost LSU in Georgia. That's all they've lost. I mean, two of the top uh, four teams in the country. Uh, Trask was 30 for 41 for 343 yards and three touchdowns. And just a good win for Florida in that game. But both Miami and Florida State, I mean, two power teams that people – I mean, everyone's, con- everyone's mad at Clemson. Oh, the ACC is so bad. Well, the reason the ACC is so, so bad is that Florida State and Miami are awful. That's why it's bad. <laughs> We'll go ahead and throw out your uh, Ira on sports analysis on who's in, who's out, and what it's looking like. And I just want to mention that Mississippi-Mississippi State game, I couldn't believe anyone saw that on Thanksgiving when Mississippi scored a touchdown, a chance to, to win the game, and the guy, uh, uh, Elijah Moore, yeah. uh, acted like did a dog motion, like for like ping like a dog, and they got a 15-yard penalty, and they missed the extra point and ended up losing the game. And then, of course, then Matt Luke, the coach of Mississippi, loses his job, and two days later uh, – Virginia beat Virginia Tech, which sets them up in to, to go for the championship game, for the ACC championship game. That was uh, where they play Clemson and get smashed probably. Uh, but uh, so that was that was one of the other big games. And uh, uh, but anyway, going into this, going for this final weekend, there's only five. There's five major championship games to watch. Uh, but the first one will be uh, the the Utah Oregon game. And Oregon has two losses. They're out of the picture. 
But Utah, if they win that game, then they set themselves up. And that's going to be Friday night. They're going to set themselves up saying, look, we've only had this one loss. We've, uh, we, we lost to USC, but we beat everyone else. We beat Washington State, we beat Oregon State, Arizona State, California, UCLA, Colorado. I mean, we're set to go. And, they're, and they're, Utah's favored by seven in this game. But they'll, they'll be able to set the stage on Friday night. And everyone's going to be watching that game. Now, if they lose, then that opens up everything then for what happens on uh, Saturday, which will be the first game, will be uh, Oklahoma versus Baylor. And the winner of that game then will say, okay, look, we're, this is where we are. And, and, and so there's only one of these two teams is going to win. They can play each other. Uh, people look at Oklahoma as having the better resume, per se. So the question is, if Oklahoma beats Baylor, it's Oklahoma versus Utah. Oklahoma might get in, but if it's Baylor beats Oklahoma, then it's Baylor versus Utah, then Utah gets in. I, my personal opinion, I think Utah gets in. Like, I think if Utah beats Oregon, that win's going to look great. I think Utah gets in in that case. I think that Baylor, I mean, as we went over this before, they have close wins. They beat Rice by eight, Iowa State by two, Texas Tech in two overtimes, West Virginia by three, and TCU in three overtimes. You know, their non-conference schedule with Stephen F. Austin, uh, UT San Antonio, and Rice. I mean, just – not a good schedule. I mean, they and, and they and they play close games. Utah's been blowing everybody out, and I really think I think people are going to be surprised. I think what will happen if Utah beats Oregon? I think Utah will be that four seed, and if you if Ohio State stays one, that's good benefit to Ohio State because I think Ohio State's much better than Utah, and then LSU has to play Clemson, and that'll be the the other semifinal that everyone will be watching. But this gets settled on Sunday. I mean, they play the game Saturday, and it gets settled on Sunday in terms of in terms of the uh, of what happens and and the LSU Georgia game again if George but if Georgia beats LSU on just the middle of the day on on Saturday then Georgia's in so Georgia's in if they win and if Georgia loses to LSU then it's going to be between the winner of Baylor Oklahoma and Utah for that final spot there's no Alabama there's no anything else and uh, and and if say if Utah loses then it's going if Utah loses on Friday night uh, it's going to be between the Baylor Oklahoma game and then at night Unless Clemson loses. I mean, if Clemson would lose to Virginia, that would be one of the greatest upsets. I mean, a 30-point favorite to lose like that, it just would be impossible to happen. But, but that's, the, that will, that's the game on that night. And then Ohio State plays Wisconsin on, uh, on, on Saturday night. And that game, Ohio State's here by eight. Uh, and Ohio State's in. But if they lose, then they'll lose that number one seed. They'll probably drop back down to four. But I don't see them losing to Wisconsin. Uh, they already killed them first, uh, the first time they played this year. So I expect them to win again. Let's uh, move on. We already way, way <laughs> past uh, on our time here, but we got plenty to still talk about. So stick around here on Iron Sports. Steelers and Browns, Ira, you were at this game, and I got to imagine it was a little on the chilly side. It really wasn't. You know, the weather was supposed to be raining. Uh, the weather was supposed to be it was supposed to be rainy and cold, and of course the rivalry of this game of two weeks ago when Freddie when uh, Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph, who both weren't in the game, and all the participants. I mean, someone said, "Oh my gosh, this could happen." It's like a rematch, but you can't have like a rematch of a fight when like if Holyfield and Tyson were going to have a rematch, but it's no Holyfield and Tyson. So the Steelers and Browns were <laughs> were going to play, but but Garrett's not playing, Rudolph's not playing, but Prouncy's not playing. Uh, but Kitchens, the coach of Cleveland, to wear that shirt that said Pittsburgh started it and then say, oh, my daughter made me wear the shirt. Like, you're, like you're you know, fool. if your daughter tells you to whatever, to run uh, Nick Chubb 30 times in the game, you're going to run Nick Chubb I mean, just because the daughter tells you to wear a shirt. So that sort of fired up the Steelers. And I said for Duck Hodges to start, that was because when he ran out of that tunnel, they go, your quarterback, they usually go, your quarterback, Ben Rotzenberger, and everyone goes crazy. And then they go, your quarterback, Duck Hodges, and people went nuts, or Devlin Hodges, when they called my first day. Uh, huge ovation in the game for him to come out there. So that was, but I thought the weather was great uh, for the game. I was expecting bad conditions. So, but Pittsburgh was lucky. They didn't get the, they didn't get the storm during the game like you saw that the Ravens had and the other teams had. So uh, what happened in this game? Because it, it was exciting, and uh, I don't think anybody you know, in the betting public would have taken the Steelers to come in and win this game with essentially a third-string quarterback. Well, it was like I think when we talked about the last game, the Browns, go, the Browns in, in Cleveland, as much as they won the game, I thought they had a terrible offense. I mean, they were having Mayfield throw 30, 40-yard passes with the win sailing. So finally, it's like they figured it out. It's like, you know, if we just, like, hand the ball to Chubb, hand the ball to Hunt, throw short passes to Landry, throw short passes to Beckham, we're going to win. And they're up 10 nothing doing that. The Steelers looked like they had no answer to that. And the Steelers' offense the first two times didn't look good. And it just looked like one of those games where Cleveland is like, they're set to go. And, I, and again, when you have guys like Chubb and Hunt 
and Landry and Beckham. I mean, they're just they're great players. And Mayfield played smart. They didn't turn the ball over. And I, I think that Hodges' pass to James Washington might have saved the Steelers' season because they had two three-outs in a row. It was 39 on their own 18. And Hodges throws to Washington on the sideline. And Washington, who's dropped passes for a year and a half, suddenly caught an amazing pass. Like, and it, wasn't, it was a 31-yard pass. They only went down and kicked the field goal. But then they came down and, and they, they, uh, Cleveland punted. And the Steelers come down on this drive. Hodges then has confidence. He's 4-5. He threw to Washington for a great touchdown. Suddenly it's 10-10. But I think if they don't complete that pass right there, that Washington pass when they're down 10 nothing, I bet you Cleveland goes down, make it 17 nothing, 24 nothing, game's over. So that really, that really saved the, uh, saved the, saved the season. And then by the end of the first half, I mean, the Steelers drove again. Um, they, uh, at the beginning of the second half, they had, they were using Samuels as a wildcat and another 44 yard, 44 yard pass to Washington. And then he still drives in and makes it 17-10. Um, but, uh, but, and then the defense started ta- sacking, uh, Mayfield, forcing him to make fumbles. Uh, that was just tremendous about it. But, uh, uh, it was, the Steelers were up 2013. The game was under control. And then Hodges finally, I said he could make a mistake. It was like a couple of four minutes to go, throws the ball up there, intercepted. And the Steelers defense came in because the Browns were ready to go, go down and score. And they, they, they sacked Mayfield three times in a row. They sacked Mayfield on third downs. Um, and then the Steelers had a great drive. It was, so they're up seven, uh, everything, they're up by, they're up seven, they're up uh, by seven, and they're ready to get the ball back. And they converted two third downs, but he Snell ran the ball, Hodges threw like seven yard passes, like those type of plays you needed to make. And, uh, and then it was like, and then still the Browns got the ball with a minute to go, but Mayfield threw an interception to Hayden, uh, and the game was over. But Hodges was 14 for 21, 212 yards. Not like the greatest passing game, but enough to win. Washington played great. Benny Snell ran great for them. 16 carries, 63 yards. Um, and uh, it was just one of those wins that everyone's talking. They're saying, look, the Browns did not play smart. They didn't play smart. They didn't run the right plays. Uh, a bad loss. And Kitchens is just, their season is over now. Now the Browns are out. And the Steelers at 7-5 are positioned right in that for the last wild card spot. But a big, big win for the Steelers and a big, big loss for the Browns. Yeah, I would have fired Freddie Kitchens after that. You, it, you you make the team look more foolish than they already do. It's completely tasteless in, in, in what's a pretty serious situation in the NFL. Uh, to downplay it like that, then to get your butt kicked, I, I would not have been happy if I was the Browns' front office. Um, I was very happy when the Dallas Cowboys lost, as I often am. <clears throat> I've said it on this show before. There's something about Josh Allen. He's not the prettiest, but this guy finds ways to win, and Buffalo is not obviously on the level of the Ravens tailoring, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson's skills, to, you know, tailoring the team around his skills, but that's what Buffalo's doing to a smaller extent with Josh Allen. Well, Josh Allen is doing, Josh Allen is playing now like Lamar Jackson is playing, is that he runs for the first downs when he has to run, he completes the passes that he needs to complete, and he has a, a rookie in Devin Singletary from FAU who is now emerging as this great rookie running back. We talk about this all the time. At the end of the year, these rookie running backs somehow come out of nowhere. And it, Dallas took that lead to 7 nothing. But it was just after that. It was just – and Dak, I, you know, I love him. I think he plays great. The interception was terrible. And the strip sack, when they stripped him out of the ball, that was bad. And that's, Buffalo's been doing that all year. They're opportunistic. And just – you know, they were – I mean, they were down. The Bills were up 23-7. It was – this game wasn't even close. You're watching on Thanksgiving, and you're ready for a close game. And it really was uh, – as much as Dallas had 32 first downs to Buffalo's 22, they outgained them 426 to 356, but they were, they were out of the game. It was just a crazy game. The turnovers killed them, and Buffalo does exactly what Baltimore does. They control the time possession, control the clock. Allen makes the smart plays, can use his feet when he has to. But unlike Lamar Jackson, he doesn't have to carry the ball all the time. He'll just have 15 carries or 12 carries. He's not carrying 20, 22 times. So I really was impressed with that. Let's uh, talk about it. Speaking of impressive, Ira, we were texting about this yesterday. Brian Flores deserves Coach of the Year votes. I'm convinced that this guy has gotten a lot more out of his team than anybody else this season. He's surely not going to win, but uh, he he deserves. He deserves votes for this. And after, you know, what he did to what's supposed to be a Super Bowl-talented-level team in Philly was nothing short of amazing. 
when you look at two teams, I mean, how many people had Philly and San Diego in the Super Bowl? Philly and the Chargers in the Super Bowl. A lot of people did. And now Philadelphia is five and seven, and the Chargers are four and eight. Uh, it was it was bad. I mean, look at the Eagles. I mean, just a terrible loss. I mean, I was at the game, so I wasn't watching this game. But certainly, I saw all the highlights and saw it. Finally, Devontae Parker woke up. Great. I mean, it's like Devontae Parker's been with the Dolphins for years and doesn't seem, and then out of nowhere, he has a seven catch, 159, two touchdown game, circus catch after circus catch. And you're like, where is Devontae Parker the best wide receiver in the league? Yeah. I mean, he played like that every game. And then I liked that Mike Kosicki, you know, they drafted him number one last year. I saw him at Penn State. I told everyone he's going to be all pro, all pro, all pro, and he's been disappearing. And then he came. The emergence of Kosicki, five catches, 79 yards. But the fact that the Dolphins have three wins, the fact that they played hard, uh, the fact that they were, they were more Eagles fans than Dolphins fans there, uh, just a great win for them. And now the Eagles, they've lost three in a row. They still have an easy schedule. They have the Giants, Redskins, Dallas, and the Giants left. Uh, but Dallas only has Chicago, the Rams, Philly, and Washington, but Dallas has that one win against the Eagles, and they're one game up. I mean, it's going to come down to the game between Dallas and Philly in two weeks, but, uh, but, a, a huge, but just a huge win for the Dolphins and a crushing, crushing loss for the Eagles. I was saying it, though, and to everyone who listened, like, watch Philly win the NFC East. Their last five games are, should be four wins, guaranteed, and then they go out and lose to the Dolphins, who... Or, you know, could have been one of the easiest ones, uh, e- easiest ones out there. So, a uh, funny story. I have a friend who's a diehard Eagles fan. He was busy yesterday, could, didn't have a TV around. He was outside. He was watching the play-by-play on his phone, and he, he texted me. He's like, Mike, what just happened in this game? Talking about the trick play, because you had to see it to believe it. Uh, that was just some coaching genius. And, like I said, Brian Flores continues to uh, impress me, making the most with the least. Um, Saints and Falcons. Well, they, 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 went, they, went, they, went they went on fourth down twice. And using the trick play to score, and then another time when they threw the 43-yard pass to, to Parker, to Parker, it's just like the Eagles were not ready. I mean, it's just like you, Peterson, again, they were the Super Bowl two years ago, and everyone thinks they're so great, and he's like a genius. And the same thing uh, with Sean McVay for Los Angeles last year. Um, some of these coaches, they get this title genius, and they write their book, and they go on their tour, and then they don't look so smart when the Dolphins go and beat you with completely undermanned talent. So it was a very – I mean, guess Brian Flores, I agree with you. Coach of the year votes. Tremendous coaching. Saints and Falcons, Ira. And this was a, a rematch of, I think it was the Falcons' first or second win of the season when they when they shocked um, New Orleans in New Orleans. But uh, the Saints, they got the best of them in this one. It wasn't even a close game at all, except the Falcons recovered two onside kicks at the end of the game, which is unheard of. And we're considering the success rate is like 5% in the league with the new rules. But Taysom Hill for New Orleans, how would you like to start the game? You block a punt. And then after you block the punch, you catch the ball for a touchdown. And the next touchdown, next score, you get a direct snap and you run the ball 30 yards for a touchdown. So Taysom Hill, again, I can't stand all these people who say that Saints don't have enough weapons. They have Thomas and they have Breeze. They have Kamara. They have Jared Cook. Their tight ends play great. I'm a big fan of the Saints. I think the Saints are going to be the number one seed in the NFC. I think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I like how Breeze plays. I think their defense is playing great. It was a revenge win over Atlanta. Um, a big win, and I, I just, I'm a big fan. I, I think the Saints are, are rolling, uh, and the time that they had Breeze out, I think he's going to be fresher uh, for the playoff run, and they'll have a bye, and then they'll go. But it was, it was a win they had. To, they, they dominated again. They, this, Thanksgiving was not a good day of great games. I mean, they, they dominated this entire game. It was just for those two uh, onside kicks at the end that made it even close. Well, the team that they'll be battling out for that number one seed in the NFC is going to be the San Francisco 49ers. I, I, you know what, Ira? I was wrong on this one. I, I thought the Ravens were going to pound them like they did to the Rams a week prior. San Francisco looked the part of, of a Super Bowl contending team, and this was a really good game. Well, I went last. We, were, we did our show on Monday. Then you go and sit down and ready for Monday Night Football versus uh, the Rams and the Ravens. And all the Ravens did was completely, I think they scored, what, on eight straight possessions, uh, 45-6. And it just continued what the Ravens were doing. I mean, since they beat the Steelers in overtime, uh, 30-16 over Seattle, 37-20 over New England, 49-13 Cincinnati, 41-7 Houston. It's like the Ravens looked unstoppable, and they looked unbeatable. And I watched this game today. I watched, I rewatched because I wanted to see what happens. But it was just, I mean, San, I thought, I'm going to give credit. I thought San Francisco played great. San Francisco showed that they could, they could slow down Lamar Jackson. I think San Francisco showed that they could score touchdowns and, and, and on the defense the Ravens had. And it was snowy and, uh, and whatever, but I was impressed with how they played. But Jimmy G, that 
fumble that he had. Uh, again, he had fumbles. I saw him live against the 49, against the Rams, where he fumbled twice. Against the Steelers, he fumbles. I mean, that's a problem. I mean, he cannot, he's got to hold the ball. And I know it sounds like crazy, oh, quarterback's got to hold, but he can't make these mistakes. People are going to be now know that he's, you can strip sack him constantly, and that strip sack really hurt them. But uh, I just, look, Justin Turner is great for the Ravens. He kicked the he kicked three field goals, and he kicked a 49-yard field goal to win the game at the end in the style. And uh, just a tremendous play by, by his part. But uh, Lamar Jackson did fumble at the end of the game, you know, in the fourth quarter, too. But it was one of those games where uh, I just I, I think San Francisco played really hard in a situation that was, you know, just a hostile environment. And uh, they had a 10 o'clock start. And I thought they played well enough, and the defense showed that. I mean, I also think it showed that Lamar Jackson is just not unbeatable. I mean, there was a point where people thought they're just going to score touchdowns every time they touch the ball, and suddenly they were slowed down. Well, that that was my takeaway, too, is that this was the first time in eight weeks that Lamar Jackson looked like a human being, and he's still good. But San Francisco was the first team to slow him down a little bit. So, like I said, I agree with you. That's a that's as good of a loss as you can have is what San Francisco had yesterday. And you know what was interesting? I looked at when you watch the game, the third when they got Jackson into a lot of third and 11s, third and tens, and and that really hurt them. I mean, they were the Ravens were only third and ten, third, three out of ten in third down. And then, you know, before they were because they look great when it's third and two. You know, Jackson runs, Ingram runs, they go again. But what's third and ten? He's forced to throw. Uh, that and, and they were able to, to to not let him sneak out of it and have the quarterback runs and stop that. I mean, I thought they play. I think they gave the blueprint for other teams to follow in terms of how to beat the Ravens. And uh, the Ravens, look, give credit to the Ravens. They won. They're the hottest team in the league. They're the number one seed. They're the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. But I think a blueprint was shown in this game about how to stop them. Yeah, they hadn't punted in uh, since week nine. I don't know if you caught that stat going into that game, which is just ridiculous. Um, Ira, we don't have much time left for football, but I got to tell you, there was moments last night where Tom Brady's face said to me, I, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think it's not that he wants to do. I think what he's, he's frustrated is that he has Edelman he knows and James White, but Sanu has not played well. They're they're. Uh, rookie Harry from Arizona State has not played well. Um, Sony Michelle is not running like he did last year, uh, and their offense was struggling. And and but I, look, he battled back. I mean, they were down in this game. I mean, they were down twenty twenty one three, and he and then twenty eight whatever twenty six, and and he scored those two touchdowns at the end. And I thought they you know they they almost got the onside kick. I mean, would have been amazing at the end of the game to get an onside kick and then him come down and win the game twenty nine twenty eight would have been tremendous. But uh, but finally, the Patriots defense could hold on, and, and you got to give Deshaun Watson credit. He threw, I mean, he threw a touchdown pass to Fuller. Uh, it looked like it was a touchdown, whatever. And then it was, and I, I thought it was a bad call. And then they they ruled it was he dropped the ball. Next play, Kenny still safe pass another touchdown. I mean, it was like he's like, okay, you want to take that play away? I'm going to come right back and do it again. The Patriots defense looked tired. Now they've been sick all week. A lot of their people had the flu, uh, but it was it was a it was a good win for Houston. It was a look. It's a win that Houston needed, uh, and a, and a, and and. But it's uh, look. The Patriots have got to figure this out. They've had all these years. They've had these stretches. They're still ten and two. There's four games left. Uh, I think they'll figure it out. And uh, and the Ravens can, they can again. The Ravens, though, the advantage they have is that they're going to have the number one seed in the AFC, and that's crucial to be able to they could play the Patriots in Baltimore instead of going to New England for that championship game. That's going to be crucial. Ira, i got to tell you, this will be the last one we talk about. i got to tell you, I'm excited that Ryan Tannehill is having a little bit of a resurgence. I always liked him here. He got kind of an unfair shake, I thought. And this team, this team can win a playoff game. I think they're going to go to the playoffs if they keep this up, and I think they could win a game. I mean, you've got to like Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he got sort of a raw deal. I, I think he did. And I mean, the injuries and everything, but to step in for Marcus Mariota uh, and Tennessee, but really it's Tennessee's defense. I mean, oh, they yeah. blocked two field goals. They forced another miss. Uh, they, it's just a complete mess. And they block a field goal. It's 17-7. You block a field goal and return it for a touchdown. So again, Tannehill did the criticism that he had when he was in uh, the criticism that he had when he was in Miami was making mistakes. No interceptions, two touchdowns, just missed five passes, played great. And uh, in a big win. And it really, I think in Indianapolis, the injuries, look, they started out great. Andrew Luck's out for the year. No one gave them a chance when Luck went down, but they played well. 
but I think they're just the injuries are just catching up to them. And now Tennessee at seven five is battling Steelers at seven five for that for that last wild card. As we said, Buffalo is going to be at nine and three. They have the first wild card, and Tennessee now and uh, the Steelers are battling out for that next wild card. And the Raiders getting destroyed. Uh, by the Kansas City, 40 to nine. Um, it's the first time since 1961 the Raiders have lost two games back to back. That's sort of now they're back in the back in the pack. Uh, but it's really going to become between Tennessee and the Steelers now for that final wild card spot. Ira, tonight this is a great, great NFC matchup: Vikings and Seattle. What do you like? I like Seattle. Um, I know that I think what's exciting about this game is the Vikings now have won at Dallas and won at Denver. Uh, Denver at home. Seattle is one at San Francisco in Philly. These teams are hot. So you have two teams that are going to this game playing well. Um, Minnesota beats Seattle. It's, it, it really, it, if Seattle wins this game, they're going to lock it. They could, they could they get the stranglehold of the number one uh, seed. So this is a huge win for Seattle, a huge game for Seattle, and a huge game for Minnesota because uh, Minnesota can still stay in that mix to try to get to, to, their, to win the division over Green Bay. So it's a, it's a great game. You know, some of these Monday night games at the end of the year haven't been good in years past. Again, another exciting Monday night game. Now watch Seattle win 50 to nothing, but another <laughs> game that I'm, I'm pumped for and I'm excited to, to watch right now. I think Minnesota's a tough out here. I would take the home team in this game regardless. It's in Seattle. So if I had to bet, I'd bet Seattle. But I don't think Minnesota's going to go down now without a fight tonight. Um, college basketball, real quick, I. Well, I, the Duke lost. To overtime to Stephen A. Austin was absolutely tremendous. They're a 30-point favorite. They've won 150 straight games at home against non-conference opponents. Um, they Stephen A. was uh, just just an amazing setup. That uh, Nathan Bain uh, stole the ball uh, and in the overtime dribbled down the court with the times running out. Jack White running down from Duke trying to block it LeBron style against Andre Iguodala. He releases the ball with like .0 seconds left. White's fingertips almost block it, and they win. I mean, it was only 2-2 in overtime in terms of each team only scored a basket. But uh, this is Duke. Duke doesn't have Zion Williamson. They have four. They were playing four freshmen and one sophomore on the court. And these are not freshmen or not. You know, they're not the Zion Williamson. They were ranked number one because there's really no super teams out there. But what an exciting game! And and I really liked it. The, the Stephen A. Austin coach. Was just so excited. He goes, uh, uh, Stephen F. Austin, but what he said, he goes, he goes, he was screaming at his players. He goes, just embrace the moment. Don't worry. I know you have four fouls. I know the other team is super. I know, I know that the fans are all against you, but just embrace the competition. Embrace what we're doing. Just love it. And I think the team played with that. And, and Bain has a great story. I mean, his whole family uh, uh, was struggling because of the, the hurricanes of the Bahamas. Uh, he's a senior, uh, just a great guy. The team, it, I mean, as much as I was rooting for Duke to win this game, I, you got to like how Austin played at the end, and, and, and they, they deserve it. Coach K said, look, if we would have won the game, the team, we would not have deserved to win. Uh, and the other thing about college basketball that's interesting is Michigan, uh, unranked, goes to the Atlantis tournament, beats North Carolina, beats Gonzaga, and they end up going from unranked to number four in the country. <laughs> Crazy. Only in college basketball do you see uh, <laughs> seeds pop around like that. Um, NBA, Ira, you actually, uh, I think you took in a Cavs game this week. Tell us what's going on in the NBA, because i got to tell you, I'm as excited for this Heat team as I think I have been for a Heat team since the Big Three. Well, uh, we can talk more next week about the NBA, but I tell you, the first time I ever saw Giannis play in person, he is everything. I mean, he is unbelievable. He is the most athletic player on the field, the court. He can jump out of the building, and he's just learning how to shoot, it seems like. And you can see why he was the MVP last year. Um, and, and I just, I was beyond impressed. I'm taking pictures of him during the game. I'm following him. And uh, I just wish that LeBron was there. Like, I wish LeBron was playing for Cleveland. I could have seen LeBron and Giannis go against each other. Because here, this is, I'm going to make a statement. I think between Giannis, Luka Doncic of uh, Dallas, and Pascal Siakam of Toronto, in three years, the three best players in the NBA could be all uh, foreign-born players. But I also got to give Cleveland credit. Uh, they, this John Beeline, who coached Michigan, uh, has really done last year done a great job in terms of the teams that mix up Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson. Now that he's not dating Chloe uh, Sexton and Garland are, are these are their two guards. They look 
I know they've only won five games, but the fans, the place was packed. I mean, this was an exciting, like this team, that people in Cleveland really liked this team, and they were, they were down, they only lost by nine points, but they were down by like 25 and came back and, and made it a close game. Uh, I think the team, unlike when LeBron left the first time and the team got terrible, this time the team is, I mean, they, there's future with this team, and, and I, I really like the young players that Cleveland has, and, and uh, they're going to have a lot of cap room, but it, it was great to see Giannis in person. Ira, where are you headed this week? Um, I'm going to go to the Steelers. Well, maybe an NBA game, but I definitely going to see the Steelers versus Arizona. I've been to Arizona for the Fiesta Bowl, but I've never, I've never been there for an NFL football game. So I'm excited to see. And the Cardinals play terrible this week. They look absolutely horrendous. The Rams suddenly, after Monday night, looked yeah. awful and been awful. Suddenly, the Cardinals seem like they're just like in reverse. I mean, they got destroyed. They uh, they have no defense whatsoever. There's no offense. And so maybe the Steelers get an easy win. I mean, the point from the Steelers' perspective is this. If the Steelers have to go, and then they have to say, look, they're going to be the sixth seed, and they get to play Houston or Kansas City in the first round, they could beat Houston. They could beat Kansas City. I mean, they've always beat Kansas City with Mahomes and not Mahomes. Then they go on the road, and everyone thinks they have to play. You know, the Ravens are so great. Do you think the Steelers are afraid to play Baltimore in Baltimore? I mean, there's no way. I mean, so from a Steeler perspective, I think they have a they, there's confidence this win really will propel them. And don't be surprised if the Steelers are playing in the AFC Championship game. Ira, thank you so much for uh, popping in tonight. Don't forget, next week, CBS uh, play-by-play guy Andrew Catalan joins us. Also, author George Hal Colt. It's going to be a great show. We'll catch up next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.